Welcome to Secure Freedom Radio. This is Frank Afney, your host and guide for what I think of as an intelligence briefing on the war for the free world. We have benefited enormously over the years from the intelligence of our first guest. His name is Dr. Mark Schneider. He has brought to our microphones uh, an enormous background in national security policymaking at the senior levels of the United States government, several of its most important departments, notably that of the Department of State and the State Department. He has been a Foreign Service officer as well as a longtime career official in the office of the Secretary of Defense with special responsibility for nuclear weapons policy and the various threats that must be taken into account as we determine what is the appropriate policy for the United States government. Dr. Schneider, it's so good to have you with us. Welcome back to Secure Freedom Radio. I want to thank you um, for your service to our country over the years and my friendship with you as well as all that I've learned from you. Um, This uh, eve of Thanksgiving, it's important to take stock of the things we're grateful for and you're you're one of those things, Mark, so I'm very glad to have you with us today. I wanted to pick your brains most immediately about reports that communist Chinese and the Russian government have now forged a roadmap, it's being called, for even closer strategic cooperation. And you've been warning for some time about the budding and evolving effective axis between these two nuclear-armed, threatening powers. What do you make of this latest development, and in particular the uh, argument that it's been prompted by some perceived threat to these countries, or specifically to Russia, from uh, some bombers that the United States exercised recently as part of its uh, annual global strategic command and control exercise, Global Thunder. Well, this is more than reports. This is literally word for word on on the website of of the Russian Defense Ministry today. Um, They have signed an agreement um, with China um, that will run for uh, uh, about five years. Uh, And um, it's it's a continuation of a very bad uh, trend uh, in which uh, two countries, both of of which uh, have territorial claims, uh, and uh, both of which uh, are signaling um, as as we speak uh, their willingness to use force uh, to achieve these uh, territorial. Uh, ambitions. I mean, right now, uh, there are reportedly 100,000 uh, Russian troops uh, poised uh, uh, on the border of, of Ukraine, in effect threatening uh, an invasion, a large uh, invasion of Ukraine. Uh, and you have the Chinese flying increasingly large um, flights of, of uh, bombers and, and strike fighters uh, supported by other types of aircraft uh, into the uh, Taiwanese um, identifica- air defense identification zone, risking a uh, armed confrontation uh, between the two, uh, the two parties. This is very dangerous stuff. The, the context uh, of this uh, um, is um, nuclear responsibility 
on the part of both uh, the uh, Russians and the Chinese. They both are in the process of uh, doing a major uh, buildup of of their nuclear forces, uh, and uh, the Chinese in particular have uh, tested a orbital uh, hypersonic um, uh, weapon system in the last few weeks, and uh, this is, these are very, very dangerous to develop. They are indeed, and the question is, are they calculating uh, in Moscow and in Beijing at the moment that the combination of their individual capabilities, this, as you say, very remarkable buildup by both powers of nuclear arms, to say nothing of they're now increasingly aligned collaboration in threatening others, create conditions under which they feel they've checkmated the United States, uh, which has not undertaken a similar kind of modernization program, despite your best efforts and mine over many, many years. Are they now, uh, do you think, sufficiently confident that they have neutralized our deterrent that they might actually act on these uh, territorial ambitions, as you've described them? Well, I think um, it's very high probability um, with regard to China, Taiwan, uh, that we're going to see a uh, an attack, an invasion, in effect, uh, of uh, Taiwan uh, by China uh, within a year, two, three, maybe at most. Uh, and I think that's why the, the massive silo buildup started when it did uh, and uh, uh, is such, on such You're a, referring a large to scale. Some 300 plus um, intercontinental range ballistic missile configured silos. Uh, in uh, in the desert, as I understand it, in China. Is yeah, right? yeah, and and it's not just silos for any ordinary missile. Uh, it's silos for a very large missile. It, it's roughly um, in the uh, class of the U.S. peacekeeper deployed by Reagan, but eliminated by Bush. Uh, so it, it doesn't exist anymore. So this is been confirmed by General Hyden as a uh, ten warhead missile, and he very recently talked about. Um, the um, the orbital hypersonic test uh, as a test of, of, of a first uh, strike weapon, and I think he's, he's he's very much on the mark. That's what they're threatening. This as is a matter the of fact, recently retired uh, vice chairman of the Joint Chiefs of Staff, John Hyten, who had commanded U.S. Strategic Command before he took that position, and he's widely regarded as one of the most thoughtful military leaders in our country about these sorts of issues. And uh, when he says it's it's a first-strike weapon, I think you're absolutely right. We can take it to the bank. Mark, there have been people uh, like our colleague, Dr. Peter Vincent Pry, who have said um, that first strike might involve a an EMP, an electromagnetic pulse laydown. Um, does that sound right to you as a specific sort of well, threat well, vector? If they, yeah, if they do a large or massive uh, strike against the United States, uh, I think there's a certainty that EMP would be a precursor shot um, um, be, before the, the, the large attack uh, arrives because it enhances the, the chance that uh, they achieve uh, their objectives in, in that strike. Um, if it's a small attack, and, and, and remember uh, that 
the Russian uh, nuclear doctrine involves nuclear escalation, uh, limited use first of, of um, low-yield um, weapons designed to minimize collateral damage. In that type of attack, no, they would not use EMP uh, first because it's, it, they don't want a massively destructive strike. Uh, they're, they're, they're trying to get us to back down, um, in effect, chicken out uh, by the, the demonstration attack. So they want to minimize collateral damage in that type of attack. So it wouldn't happen in uh, in, in uh, that situation. Yeah. Well, I guess there's there's some room for question about that in that I think to the extent that their agenda seems to be, according to published writings uh, by senior Chinese military personnel and, and scientists, to achieve the ability to essentially take out the United States um, without devastating its infrastructure, um, notably in the context of biological warfare capabilities. Um, an EMP strike may be uh, well-suited to doing that as well. But Mark, let me just well, ask was, you- Excuse me. I was talking about Russia and the comments I just made. China is something different. Uh, uh, they've, they've got a legacy of malice fanaticism um, uh, in their military uh, that could result in in doing things uh, that uh, the Russians wouldn't do initially in, in, in an attack. Well, I think you're right. I mean, the, the Maoist fanaticism, unfortunately, is not confined to the military. Xi Jinping seems to be exhibiting it fairly power, powerfully as well. But Mark, let me just bring you to this, this really most important question. Uh, whether they feel that they've checkmated us yet or whether that's still to be accomplished, uh, one of the determining factors, presumably, is the credibility of our own deterrent forces. And you mentioned the most modern, most powerful intercontinental ballistic missile we ever deployed, arguably. Um, the Peacekeeper missile was retired uh, unilaterally by George W. Bush, uh, albeit in the context of you know previous arms control initiatives, but they've had a lot of life on it. And what has been left behind, uh, the Minuteman three missiles um, are very aged, although they've you know, had service life extension programs and so on. The warheads on them are uh, very, very aged, as are, you know, those of uh, the other forces. The calculation of the Russians and Chinese um, could be, you know, uh, reasonable that uh, these aren't really up to the job of deterring them anymore. And I just wonder, uh, do you think that's their calculation, point one and point two? What must we be doing now to try to remedy that situation? Well, uh, we, we certainly uh, have a very aging and declining uh, nuclear deterrent, and nothing under the current program is going to do any, anything significant to change that, uh, you know, until about 10 years from now. Uh, and uh, even then, uh, the modernization is going to be pretty slow. Um, you know, five or uh, ten years um, by um, say uh, twenty uh, thirty-five, twenty forty. You probably have two, um, both Russian and Chinese modernization efforts that have uh, uh, led to fruition and uh, um, deployment of, of 
new systems, in some cases, systems we don't even know about right now from the from from open sources anyway, and and from um, their uh, statements and and from uh, other you know government reports. So um, we um, we are not what well, we are doing uh, very little. Uh, to um, counter this threat, uh, and I believe uh, we could see uh, as much as a seven or eight to one combined Chinese and, and Russian uh, nuclear advantage uh, by uh, 2030. Uh, and as and you say, that's the I'm, combination of the two nations' uh, nuclear capabilities, uh, each of them individually may be superior, but taken together particularly. Uh, they are, and that's and that's without really knowing what the full scope of the Chinese program may yet prove to be. But again, Mark, the question is: Are there things that the United States could do um, far faster than ten years from now uh, to reestablish um, some measure of credibility and deterrent capacity for our forces uh, that seems to be increasingly wanting? Well, the short answer is yes. There are things we we can do um, in less than uh, a lot less than ten years if we um, really made the uh, the effort to do it. I mean, uh, I'll give you an example. When we were really concerned about the Soviet threat uh, starting in in 1947, uh, when we literally had a, a total stockpile of nine nuclear weapons, according to uh, the uh, official uh, history. Uh, um, by the Department of Energy. Uh, by 1958, declassified, or not that they were never classified, but documents released by uh, the Department of en Energy indicate we went from nine to uh, 13, uh, 12 or 13,000 warheads. I forget uh, which number, but it's in that range. Um, and, you know, that, that was the United States in 1950. Uh, the, the reality is we're not willing to do that, unfortunately, today. Um, what I'm most worried about uh, uh, today is the real possibility that the Biden administration is going to make significant cuts uh, in, in both the um, Trump and the Obama programs. Yeah. Uh, and, and Mark, well, this is a subject to which we need to return with you at greater length. But just very quickly, there is one thing that uh, has definitely been sort of put into play, and that is that the Biden team, whatever they do with the numbers, are uh, poised to adopt a so-called no first use or a sole purpose uh, uh, policy stance with respect to our nuclear forces. Uh, tell us what that would mean and, and its implications against the backdrop of what we've just been talking about, especially. Well, it, it would be disastrous uh, from the standpoint of, 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 of deterrence. Uh, there are uh, reports of very, very serious pushback from the Pentagon. Uh, on this uh, on this issue, uh, and uh, there are yes, thank God, and uh, uh, we now know uh, that they literally sent a questionnaire to our allies about their views on this, and uh, reportedly the the responses they got back were extraordinarily negative on on no first use. So we may not see. No first use. Uh, right now, I'm more worried uh, about them having to come up with something else, and, and that something else um, uh, will, at a minimum, is is going to 
probably be um, the termination of the relatively small Trump programs that uh, um, augmented our deterrent capability, the, the nuclear slickum, the uh, low-yield uh, Trident missile. warhead. Mm -hmm. Yes, uh, the, the, the uh, Trident low-yield uh, uh, warhead. That, that uh, we could, could be done like that. in a far more expeditious way program than uh, than 10 years out I take it mark these well, it's are... already been done in the in the case of, of the low yield trident it would literally be taking something that's according to the Pentagon has already been deployed uh, out of the, the, the boat yeah well again ill-advised in the extreme and extremely I think it is fair to say um, problematic in the backdrop of uh, this increasing Chinese and Russian collaboration. Mark, thank you for your assessment of all this, as well as your ongoing work now at the National Institute for Public Policy, where you are a very important senior fellow. We appreciate all that you do and have done for our country, my friend. We're thankful for it, and we'll look forward to talking with you more about all of this in the near future. In the meantime, stay well. Godspeed. Next up, we'll talk with the former chairman of the House Intelligence Committee, Congressman Pete Hoekstra, about this stuff and more. Straight ahead.